I want you to open your Bible just briefly tonight to where we started last week in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, and then I'll quote Numbers 23:19. As you remember, that was our next verse. We're looking again at a series that should be taught at least twice a decade. Just teach it again, and then teach it again, and then teach it again. Those of us that have heard it and are acquainted with it, we just rejoice in it all over again. And those of you that are coming of age where you're learning to listen and pay attention, that usually means you got married, you might learn for the first time something you've heard for many years. But there's no more important message in the Bible to me, in one man's opinion, for a Christian than how to walk by faith or how to live by faith. Because as you've heard before, that's the only way God says we can please him. So we need to learn what he means and how we can understand it, how we can make application of whatever he gives us so that we can please him. Now we look at Hebrews 10, 38 at the end of that verse. The just shall live by faith. It says that about four times in scriptures, from the Old Testament into the New. It's like God emphasizes it more than once. If you were made right with God, that is, if you were just, justified, freed from your sins, if you were made right with God and brought into his presence as his son or daughter, he requires us to live by faith. And again, it's just an opinion, but from where I stand looking back over the years, either a lot of people are still struggling with this message, some have turned away from it, and got irritated by continually having to listen to it, and some got it. And the difference is, to me, dramatic because the life changes. The whole atmosphere of your personality changes. The way you view things in life, things that used to tear you up or wear other people out, they don't affect you anymore because your faith has been has been given to you in such a way that you're able to cope with, overcome, make application of the Word of God, and you're overcoming. And that's God's goal for you, to grow up into Him in all things, to be like Him, to do like Him, and to walk like Him. Now, I base this series on Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that He should lie, nor the Son of Man that He should repent. Then He ends that verse with this. This is what it's all about. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Shall he not do it? That is, if God said something, he has said it with the intention of doing it. Has he not said, shall he not do it? It'd be like me saying, didn't he say he would? I mean, if he said he would, then he will. Now, that's the basis for my faith. My faith is based on something that has to work. I can't demand it to work, but I'm trusting in the fact that God whom I serve is so reliable and honest that what he said, he will do. And there's nothing too hard for God. There's nothing too difficult. We sing that all the time. Nothing is too difficult for thee. He has not said anything that he cannot do. And even gone so far as to say that he can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. So no matter what my level of my faith is, he is greater than that. He can do more than that. He can open the windows of heaven, pour out blessings upon us. He can dispatch angels to protect us for the rest of our life in any crisis. There is no stage of any disease he cannot heal. There's nothing he cannot do. And he makes that plain over and over again in the Bible through promises. Like 8,000, nearly 8,000 promises in Scripture. These are statements that God makes to us as to what we can count on him to do. Now, if we count on him to do it, then we're doing it by faith. And if we're reading that, but we're not really doing it, then faith hasn't come yet. But this is what God wants us to do is to live by faith. That's the title of the series, Living living by Faith. That's the way we're supposed to live. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would God give us... This is just a passing, general, easy-to-answer question. Why would God give us 8,000 promises? 
Did he not foresee that as we live in this world, we're going to have a lot of needs? And that people's effort and attempt at getting those needs met is going to take them into avenues of life that's going to hurt them? You know, stealing, lying, cheating, doing things you shouldn't do to get money, get your needs met. Didn't we just read the other day that God has given unto us great, exceeding and precious promises in order that by these, by these promises, we might partake of the nature of God and be delivered from the corruption that is in the world through lust? Did you know that God has made promises to cover every area and every need of your life? You don't have to wish you had what somebody else had. You don't have to try to be like other people. God brought you to him personally. He wants you to personally depend on him and trust in him. He wants us to all to escape the corruption that is in the world. The things that we call spots and wrinkles and any such thing. The thing that causes us to be tainted or spotted before him. We're supposed to be delivered from it and he does it through these promises. We don't have to lie and cheat on our income taxes or tell a story that isn't true in order to, to get a dollar or two ahead. No, we just live honest. We, the, the divine nature's honest, isn't it? Isn't the nature of God in you honest? Does he ever worry? No. Does he ever fret? No. Nothing's too hard for him, and he's asking you to trust him. Lean on me. Rely on me. Live your life as though what God says is true. That's why you would take no thought for the things of tomorrow. That's why you take no thought for the things of today, what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear or how this is going to work. Well, what would we do if? He said, you're not even supposed to take thought for that because God wouldn't. If you're going to partake of God, of the, the nature, the divine nature, then you're going to have to do things the way he does. You're going to have to see things the way he sees them, and he shows you the way to see things, doesn't he? He sure does. I mean, he makes it clear to us. Would God ever worry? No, he forbids worry. When he said, take no thought, be not anxious, he said, don't worry about anything because God wouldn't. And now I'm not going to be you therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect, but it's in there. Think of it. To have divine life inside of you, and that's what happens when you're born again. You receive a new nature. Something on the inside of you is new. If you got a new life on the inside of you, that's the source of the way you should live and act. You study that. You learn about that. You begin to say, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus want me to do? And so you begin to live like that and do things that way. You live by faith. You count on God to do what he said that you're convinced of, and you trust him to do that. See, there's four things that faith will do, probably many more, but there's four things that particularly that I can see that, that faith does in us. Living by faith does four things. One, as I said last week, it teaches you who the source of your needs is. Who is the source of my life? Who said he would meet all of my needs? God then he doesn't want you to turn to everybody and every other thing and every other deal in this world to get your needs met. He said, you come to me, ask me, and I will meet your needs. You have no need to fret and worry because the world is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof. As somebody had to be from Kentucky said, all the cattle and all the hills and all the maters and taters are God's. And if he has all of that and offers all of that to his people, then why should we fret about anything? Now, we do because we've been trained to fret. The world and the life before salvation, we learn to do it as our parents did and what our friends taught us and watching the news and, and reading the papers and all the unsolvable problems of the, the existence of things in this world for which there is no solution and we learn to fret and worry because it seems to affect our future. How will I go to college? How will we ever have a house? How will we ever do this? Well, what will happen if? And oh my, this, you know, and then there, this is going around and the flu season started and one out of this, and, you know, and then 
Phew. It's so many things that people fret over, and yet God's word says, why would you fret over things? God's in control, and the same God that's in control of the world lives in you. That's his nature in you is in there. Let him increase. Let him, let him have his way. Let your mind be conformed to his will. Think like he thinks, and then live the way he tells us to live. This is what is so lacking in the world. And you and I both know sitting here tonight, there's not a whole lot of this in the church in charismatic groups to boot. A lot of people have heard all of this. What I've just said, some people have heard all their saved life and still struggle. Because it's not easy to live this way. It's not easy to just accept it's true what God said in his word. It's true. But we're so attached to this world and so fearful of losing something that it's hard to, to let go. And trust the Lord with all of our hearts. It is. There's no favor in doing that. I mean, you don't say just because you do it. Well, you know, I know everybody does. That doesn't make it right. It's wrong. So we have to struggle with them. We have to deal with these things. God wants us to trust him for all of our needs. He uses faith to mature us, we said last week, James chapter 1. He puts these promises before us. We claim the promise, and while the promise is on its way, hadn't manifested yet, we realize some things in our life that uh, we need to deal with. God used the promise to bring it to the surface. A lot of people let go of it, don't want to do that. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense, and they quit, and they never mature. They never mature spiritually. They always remain as needy people all the time, can't ever get over the hump, always struggling. Now, I know people struggle. I know some of you are probably struggling. It's not a put-down to say that you're struggling. At least you're here and you can hear on how to deal with it. God isn't through with you. God isn't through with any of us. We know also thoroughly that God uses faith so we can please him in this life. We can't build him something that would please him. We can't make him something. We can't go through the ends of the world and do something for God. The only thing we can do is trust him and take him at his word. Follow his leading. That's all we can do. And then finally, fourthly, we, we saw last week that the purpose of our faith is to glorify God. All the promises are yes and amen to the glory of God by us. If the promises are for anybody, they're for us. But they're just words until we claim them for ourselves. Now, that brings me forward tonight in our second lesson on this subject. How do I receive these promises? You could, let me have a little dialogue here. Well, preacher, you've been talking about all these promises and 8,000 promises. You say it every other week or every week. And it's evident for, as we look around amongst ourselves as friends and visitors, we see a lot of people that don't benefit from these promises. I mean, people are still down, they're still this, they're still that, and they're not doing well, and they're fretting and struggling, fighting, irritable, they're broke, not well, just not getting along. None of those things are things that God gave you. That's not the traits of the righteous. And yet we got 8,000 promises, and then we're not, they're not working. They're, they're just not working. There's things that we prayed for that's not responding. Now, either my faith is whacked up or we're being misled by the end from the pulpit. And so we, we want to find out, if we can, how is it then that these promises go from the ink on the paper into the experience in my life? You return to Romans 10, 17, because this is a classic primary verse. First of all, you have to base your faith, what you're believing, on the Word of God, not on your emotions. You cannot say, well, I really need this. I'm really trying. No, that you, you base your faith on the Word of God. There's no other source for these things, for your promises and the Word of God. If you're going to get a promise... You're going to have to find it in the Word of God. You have to believe these promises are yours. How many of you know that if, you, if you're not convinced, like sitting here tonight, if you're not convinced that the promises that are made in this book, which we hear about, if you're not convinced they are specifically and personally for you, individually, they're not for other people, they are for you. 
Uh, they, these are given by God for the purposes that I've already said, but these are yours. If you don't begin this faith walk believing that all the promises that God have made, he has made to you, then you're going to start out in unbelief. You're going to hope these things work. You're going to wish they would work, but you're never going to be sure and they're never going to work. You're going to be one of those people who look back and say, you know, I tried, I've been trying this stuff for 10 years and it hadn't worked. I can only say this. I can only say this. And, and this is for if you're here tonight and you're struggling or if you're here tonight and you're doing, doing well. Uh, the reason things don't go well for us is that we're not doing it God's way. Or there's something wrong between the heart and God. God never changes, does he? He said, I am the Lord, I change not. And there is a reason why things haven't worked yet or not working at all. And it's usually a faith problem. We don't like to say that because we feel like it's a put down. You know, somebody was walking on the water and they sunk. And we say, well, the reason you sunk is because of your faith. Well, that seems so harsh. That sounds like such a put down, but it's the truth. That's why it doesn't work. There's something in the faith connection or your motivation for things. You have not because you ask not, but then again, you have not because you asked for the wrong reasons. You ask amiss. There's nothing wrong with the word of God. There's nothing wrong with God's promises, but it's how we approach it. It's the things we leave out. It's the things we don't deal with that, that interfere with whether or not these things become living and vital in our life. First of all, the word of God is a fact. As you go to Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It means that this, faith is taking God at his word. It's depending on God. It's counting on God to do what he said. Now, a lot of people read the word, but they don't do that. They read the word and wonder about that, and they look around and, well, well it's not working. Who's it working for? I mean, I'd like to believe it, but who's it working for? But when it comes to faith, faith doesn't look at anybody. Faith looks at itself. It says, God, if you said it, it has to be so because you said it. And the reason you can believe what God's word said is because the word of God is a fact. Now, the word fact, if you look it up in a dictionary, it's that which is actual, that which is, well, that which is real. You can't believe something is true if in fact, it isn't true. It's nonsense to say that you have faith on something that's abstract. See, people accuse us of making up things we want to believe for and then demanding God to do that. Well, I don't believe that. But I do believe if I go to the Word and I read what the, what the Bible says, that I am dependent on the Holy Spirit to rightly interpret this Word to me. And if I don't get it clear out of one verse, it'll usually run me to three or four other verses that'll say the same thing. It'll confirm it. Now, faith comes by hearing. What I need in order to please God in this life comes to me from hearing what he said. Now, God speaks. Does he not? The word you're holding in your lap is what he speaks. This is the word of God. I'm not dependent on some audible voice out here. I don't wait till some vibration hits me to know something. I read the word. The Bible is the word of God. There is no other word of God. There are many books written, many great men and all of that, but there's only one Bible. There's only one author of the one Bible, and that is God, and that's the only source for a man's faith. And if anything, anything in that Bible that it says is what God will do and what God meant to do because he's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. But if he said it, he'll do it. And if he spoke it, he'll make it good. So you need to go to the word like I do and see what he said. What did you say, Lord? What have you spoken here? Because you see, God's word to us, it's not to unbelievers. It's not to those who stand afar off, but for those of us who come close, draw near. The word of God is a fact. It is actual. It is truth. It is unchanging. It's not something today 
and it'll be something else tomorrow. Because faith is only possible, faith is only possible when it's based on or resting on a fact. For me to believe God, I have to know something is certain, something is sure. I have to know that this promise was made and there's no way that the promise cannot be kept. That God has not promised me something he can't do. That God has not promised us something that's too far off. If I read what he said, that's what I can count on. Because that's a fact. That's a living, eternal fact. That if God said it, it's so. Now that's the basis of my faith. That's the reason I come to him. I don't come to him because I hope he'll do what he said. I don't come to him with what other people say. Well, I know he could. Well, you can read where he already has. You know he can. I come to him because I believe he'll do the same thing, whatever my need is for me, because he said he would. I got to spend time in this book. I need to hear it. I need for its content to rise up and challenge me, challenge my indifference, my laziness, it needs to challenge me to say, you cannot grow and you cannot go unless this book becomes your life. Because this word is what will save you, bring you in and, and deliver you and so forth. All my faith can do, all my faith can do and all it's designed to do is depend on God and count on a fact as being true. I'm depending on God. I can't see him. He didn't audibly speak to me. All I've got is a book. Same book you got. I got the same amount of time every day you have. We all live in the same time zone. 24 hours every day for all of us. No difference. The ground at the foot of the cross is level for all of us. Whosoever will may come. The door's open. There are no excuses for any of us. All we have to do is come. Come with your heart. Come with your need. If you weren't poor in spirit, you wouldn't come. But if you come, it's because I have a need that's greater than any other need. I want to be able to relate to you and know that what you said you'll do for me. I want to know that I can always have my needs met no matter where I am, no matter what time of day it is, no matter what age I am, that God is faithful to his word to all of us, period. I want that. Because you see, my, my faith doesn't make the word true. All my faith can do is count on a fact as being true. I'm taking it at your word. How many of you know your faith, you're counting on the word of God to be true, doesn't make it true? The word will be true whether you count on it or not. It's given to you by God as an eternal statement, an unchanging eternal statement. This word will never change. It's just like God. It changes not. Heaven and earth can pass away, but this book you're holding in your lap will be here. It'll be in eternity forever. And all God asks us to do, and the only thing he asks us to do, the simplicity of this message is this. Just take him at his word. That's enough. Take him at his word. Did he say he would do it? Then he will. Act like it. That's one of the conditions. That's later. If he said he'll do it, he'll do it. Trust him to do it. Yeah, but this looks serious. It always is serious. Everything is serious, but count on him to do it. Last week, Kenneth here came up to me and told me, I'm making this up. He said, uh, Brother Hamilton, I put $1,000 in your checking account today. Let me ask you something. How will I ever benefit from that $1,000? Write a check and say, you know what? Kenneth told me put a thousand dollars. You praise the Lord, Amen. Glory to God. I, and I'm going to benefit from that. Why? Because I believe it. Now, what if I don't run around with Kenny? And he said, Brother Hamlin, I put a thousand dollars in your checking account today. Good. Thank you. But anyway, <laughs> how many of you know that? My believing what he said doesn't make what he said true. What he told me is true because he did it. He said it. My believing it doesn't make it true. 
My believing only brings me the benefits of the truth. I'm going to enjoy a thousand. Well, what about the Bible? What about the Bible? Did not God announce all the things that he has for us and the things that he's promised to do? That he said he'll watch over his word to perform it. And then he says to us, was he whom he drew out of dark places and ignorant lifestyles, set us in a place like this and said, let me tell you what I will do for you. I want you to live like what I said is true because this is how you're going to please me. I want you to walk like what I said is true, even though there's no evidence of that truth yet. I want you to talk like what I say is true, even though nobody can see it. I want you to rejoice and pray and raise your hands while the storm is brewing. There's no deliverance yet, but I want you to believe there is. You don't know many people like that. I still don't. After all these years, I know, probably how many thousand have heard it? I don't know how many got it. But as I said last week, I sure want you all to get this. Because this is a life changer. To be able to need only like that. Remember that centurion that came to Jesus? And he said, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. He said, you don't have to come and heal him. All you have to do is speak the word only. And if you speak the word, my servant will be healed. What did that man believe? That there's so much power in what he said, his announcement. You announce, you say verbally, your servant is healed. And, and whatever's bothering my servant will unbother him because of who you are. Here we are tonight. Here you and I are tonight. The year 2012 is the last part of the year. How many years now have we been doing this, listening to this type of thing? How many years and here we are again. And God is saying to some of us anyway, how much more do I have to say in order to convince you that I'll do what I said? I sent my word and I heal them. I do this and I do that. You see, when God makes a promise and that promise stirs me up to faith, that is with my heart, I believe I have it. And I continue to believe I have it because that's what faith and patience is about. You start with believing and then you hold on to your faith. If I believe the announcement of what God has said, and then I begin to count on that to become mine and continue to count on it, thirdly, God will manifest it and I'll have it. It'll become mine. Now, I have found that everybody who really wants to receive something from God or has a great need in their life, they would dig in the word to find out for themselves how I can do my part. What is it I'm supposed to do? What is it I'm supposed to learn? How am I supposed to see all of this? What perspective am I supposed to put all of this in? Because I don't want to get this wrong. I want to rightly divide the word. People who really are wanting to get the bottom of it, they'll dig. They'll dig in there pretty deep. They'll dig in there as long as they have to. They won't take my word for it. They'll thank God for being inspired, but, but they're going to dig down and find out for themselves. Let's take, for example, healing, because more people wrestle with healing than anything else. We could use money and go through Scripture. We could use protection. The angels, the Lord, and all the things that God promises to protect us, many verses. But if you want your faith to come to the surface where it begins to work for you and brings these promises into living, visible manifestations. Let me show you how I think you could do it, especially when it concerns healing. As I've said, healing is a big problem for a lot of people. Sickness that lingers. Difficulties that won't go away. They bother us because the devil uses that to stay in your head. He won't leave you alone to make you think you failed or you're weak or you can't or you're not good enough. You're not far enough along or you're just, you missed it somewhere or you're being misled. The devil does whatever he can in the time you're dealing with something to make you think that it won't work for you or it's not going to work for you. And I don't know why you keep believing all of that. But you start with the, the book, the facts. Ask the question. I could ask you one. I've asked myself this. Has God promised healing 
to me. Now, is it a promise? Is the message, is there a message in the Bible of divine healing? I think many liberals would say, yeah. But is it absolutely sure? Does God want me well? Because again, you, the devil says, well, look around. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't well. What makes you think you're so much better than they are? Well, you're not better than anybody. I just want to know if this message is, is God want me well? Or does he want me to be whole? Does he want me to be delivered from childhood illnesses or problems or damages that were done? Things that happened years ago. Does he want me to be well? Can a miracle of recovery happen? Well, now we don't see it very often. When's the last time you saw that? See, this is the way the devil talks. Well, then how do you know it'll work? You know what? Come to the place where I don't have to see it work to believe it works. I only have to understand what God said. And if God said nothing is too hard for him, there is nothing in this church too hard for God. There is nothing too hard for him. Or as the world says, the books that are written in this world, maybe God wants some of his saints infirm. Maybe he gets glory out of people's infirmities that, you know, some people he doesn't want well because as they overcome and put a smile on their face and their condition that, well, you know, people glorify God, that, the, wow, God must want his people like this. Is sickness a cross that some people have to bear? Well, what about Paul's thorn? I'm talking like they thought, talk now. What about Paul's thorn? Didn't the Bible say he had a thorn? You know, he is a body, didn't the Bible say his bodily presence is weak? Didn't he say what big letters I write with? Maybe the man couldn't see. People assume all of that, so they write books as though that's a fact. They might say, fact is, Paul had a thorn in his flesh, which was a physical infirmity. That's a lying fact. That's not true. Or maybe Job's boils. What does it say about Job? A perfect man? And he had all of these... Uh, Whatever they were, we, we call them boils. They, they could have been a lot of ugly things that we don't want all over his body. Where could he sit? I mean, behind and above and beside, laying down. There was no comfort zone physically for him. There was none. And his condition was such a, that when his friends came to see him, all they could do was remark about, there's something wrong with you. Or what about, you know, and Job was, a, Job was a righteous man. What about the church at Corinth? Didn't the church at Corinth have all the gifts? And the Bible say they came behind in no gift? And yet he comes to the end of that chapter, in chapter 11, and, and talks about those in that church who were weak and sickly and some died. Well, I thought they had all the gifts there. Well, they would say, the writers of this world say, see, God didn't want to heal all of them. Some of them were sick because God wanted them sick. And uh, they didn't get healed because of this or because of that. You know, God isn't going to heal everybody. I wrote down some things here that have, from books. I've had books. I've had to write on the front of them, warning. I did. I write big black letter, warning, and then put a, you know, X through the book. It's, so if anybody should ever find it, it wasn't a favorite. I buy these books sometimes I used to for, for research and so I can do what I'm doing now. One book, for example, said this. It was about fast facts. I call it on false teachings. Now, when people write things like this, there is a crowd out there that gets this. They can't handle the, a teaching on divine healing, but they love this. They say, for example, prosperity theology is heresy. Prosperity theology, that is what the Bible has to say about prosperity, is heresy. That's pretty bad. They say prosperity theology is false religion. 
They say it amounts to American charismatic humanism. In other words, we are sort of the low form of Christianity here. We are so whacked up and deceived because we believe that, that you should be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. Or we believe in divine healing, that God wants us to be well, and they're writing books as fast as they can for that bunch out there with their eyes closed that, that doesn't know if they can be healed or not. But if some educated somebody with a doctor's degree writes a book and says, well, like this, he said, the Bible never assures anyone of health, wealth, recovery of lost property, promotions, salvation of loved ones. They should not be expected. Well, I don't know what they de- I don't know what they do. I guess they have to build buildings and write books and have big big meetings or something. The Bible never assures anyone of health, wealth, recovery, lost property, promotions, salvation of loved ones they should never be expected. That's on page 83 of this book. Listen to this one. Another page 125 of this particular book says the origin of faith teachers is Christian science. If you teach on faith, then you're Christian science. Now, he could change the word science. I'd believe it. If you teach on faith, it's Christian sense. But he didn't say that. He said faith teachers are spiritualists. Well, what would that do to the people, people who hear these Folks that are far more educated than I and much more eloquent and better delivered, all of that kind of stuff. Well, they appeal, listen, they appeal to that nature of man that God wants to change, to keep you down and in darkness. And why people go to that level, I don't know. I guess because they don't have to use their faith anymore, and they don't. Listen to this. Disease and death are givens. In this fallen world, they are the expectation. You should expect to be sick. You should expect to not be able to overcome. I rebuke this. I rebuke every bit of that. Listen to this. This is worse. Now, I don't know how you write this, but somebody did. Sickness is often the proof of God's special favor. And it always, in his loving pleasure, is coordinated with everything else that befalls the believer to achieve ultimately positive goals. I don't know either. I have no idea. But people write that. And worse, the sad thing is about it, that people read that. And books like this do become bestsellers amongst Christians. And Christians buy this. I think they have been so disappointed so many times about their prayer life, it didn't work, that somebody comes along and says, well, it's not supposed to. You're not supposed to be well. There's no promise in the Bible about deliverance and recovery and healing and health and prosperity or salvation of your loved ones or any such thing. I mean, sickness is a given. You can't get away from it, so get your shot and your insurance and get used to it. Now, we come along, I come along. You just happen to be here, but I come along and I say all of that, all of that is devilish nonsense. It is a thief robbing people. And the devil robs them today the same way he did in the Garden of Eden. He said, hath God said. And people believe that stuff and they buy that and they go that that way and, and that's what happens to them. But see, when it comes to faith, just like with Kenneth here, give me that money. I begin to partake of what is mine, not because I earned it or deserved it, but it was given to me. He said, it's yours. Now, my believing what God said brings me into the benefits of what God said. All of us should be able to say, one of these days, all of us should say everything that ever troubled me physically, materially, any other way, everything that I ever had a deep problem with left me because God healed me, delivered me, supplied my needs, uh, made me to triumph over whatever. Every one of us, we should all come to the place say that I am where God said I should be. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I guarantee you the fullness of Christ is more than these unkind statements I read a while ago. 
God has already told me what he wants to do, and that's what he's going to do. He said, he's my healer. He said, I am the Lord that has healed you. And all this stuff about the Corinthian church and being sickly and Job's boils and Paul's thorns, 1 Timothy 5, 26, you know, take a little wine for thine often infirmity's sake, you heard that? Well, if Timothy was like that, well, who say, you know, why didn't Paul heal him? Well, I guess the same reason, perhaps that a lot of them didn't get healed in 1 Corinthians or a lot of them get, get healed in 2012 in Shelbyville. It's not because God changed his mind. I can't read in the Bible where God changes his mind. In fact, I do read where he said, I am the Lord, I change not. So I'm not dealing with something here that's iffy. But I begin to wrestle with this. I consider, turn to Matthew 4. I begin to read things like this. We don't have time to read all of these. Man, we'd be here joyfully for two or three days. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, I read things like this. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and, notice, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people, all sick people that were taken with divers or different kinds of diseases and torments, and those who were possessed with demons, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And two or three other places said he healed them all. He didn't leave any of these people out and said, well, this is for God's glory. God didn't want to heal. He healed them all. It didn't matter what their problem was, lunatic, they were insane. Parents of these insane people had never had a, much of a free time in their whole life. They had a problem they had to deal with with their whole life. And Jesus comes along and their child's whole. Or the man or the woman is whole and perfectly sound and sane. Little people who never had walked, their bodies were all stowed up and their limbs were emaciated. He healed them all. The second, one of his second great miracles was in Cana. The second miracle he did in Cana was, was heal somebody who, who was decrepit like that. There was nothing that Jesus turned from and said, well, this was too hard. He healed them all. So I read this. I'm trying to get my faith for healing. So I begin to read this. I think, wow. And over in chapter 8 of the same book, Matthew chapter 8, beginning of the very first verse, and when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper. And were, it'd be like saying he had advanced cancer today because he was going to die with it. A leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me whole if you want to. And Jesus put forth his hand to keep him from coming closer. And he said, this is for my glory. Do not touch me. And he sent him back to his leper colony. Now, that's the modern version. The biblical version was, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately, 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 wouldn't you like to watch that? Immediately, the leprosy, all of those big sores and all of those things that these big sores do, they just disappeared because he touched me. Oh, I mean, because he touched him. And all that stuff before their very eyes just left. And his skin turned from that chalky white to a, a regular color. There was nothing too hard for him. Leprosy was no problem. Death was no problem. That's as bad as it gets. <laughs> Death is, a, is the worst of all because that's the end of it. And yet he said, not for you, Lazarus. Come out of there. He raised them from the dead. So I'm reading this. I'm trying to get my faith there. I'm reading all of this. I read in Job, for example, about those boils because I want to know what's going on there. I read that in Job, in Job chapter 2, it was the devil who went out and touched his body with these boils. It was, it was a devil in, in, uh, in the book of Job who did this. And in Job chapter 42 and verse 10, the last chapter of Job, Verse 10, 
It said, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. What was his captivity? It was these infirmities that he had, the boils, if we call them boils. Where did they come from? They came from the devil. And the Bible said the Lord, who's on the other side of this, the Lord turned his captivity because the devil could no longer keep that stuff on him because Job changed, God delivered him, and he was free. They left because boils don't belong to us. They're, they're, that's part of the captivity. He said in Job 2, again, Job 2, verse 7, so Satan went from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. The devil did that. So right away, I'm beginning to read this book. And I say, well, now Job's boils, the devil did that. The, the devil's the one that put these boils and sores all over these, all over these people. And Paul's thorn, that was a messenger from Satan to buffet him. That was the work of the devil, not to make him sick, but to keep him from being proud of what he was doing. He had enough down moments. He was stoned. Women ran him out of town once. I mean, there's times he had to struggle. He was in this often and that often. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12. He was in this often and that often. He went through this. He went through that. He never had a chance to be famous and great. His bodily appearance, God didn't choose a man who was big and tough and bad. His bodily presence looked weak. His speech was contemptible, so he wasn't much to look at. He didn't sound like it was a whole lot to hear, but when he was anointed, he said, I'm bringing you the word of God. That's the kind of people that God often chooses. We might expect something greater, but God gave even Job. You know, he allowed this messenger of Satan to buffet him. Or... I keep looking through here. What about Luke 13? It's about, you know, on the Sabbath day, a woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Jesus healed. Remember what Jesus said? Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? You know what? Her affliction. Whatever it was that she had was said to be the work of the devil, wasn't it? Now, I'm reading. I'm thinking, well, you know what? Now, this sickness and disease isn't any kind of a blessing at all. It's captivity in one case. It is oppression. Look in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Turn over there. Acts chapter 10. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Now, what was Job's condition called? Say captivity. Captivity. What did Jesus do, do here in Acts 10, 38? He went about healing all who were what? oppressed of the devil. So there's no glory and there's no praise in any of this kind of stuff. It's the devil who afflicts people. It's the devil who puts people down. And yet the devil convinces people to blame God, that your sickness is from God for his glory. It's not going to get healed. Nobody ever gets healed of this. You never saw an eye healed or a tooth repaired or restored You've never seen any names, all these things that haven't happened that you've never seen as though, therefore, if you haven't seen, it can't happen. And yet you got to go, you got to put all that aside. You go back to the book. You say, but now with regard to this book and not your experience, let God be uh, true and let every man be a liar. I want to know what the book says. So you keep reading and you read in here how God anointed Jesus and, and this stuff about Job and, and about all these people that came to Jesus and he healed them all. But perhaps one of the most convincing of all is in first Corinthians chapter five and verse five, Paul said to that man who had cohabitated with his father's wife, he said he delivered his flesh to the devil for what? Paul said, a man, I have delivered his flesh 
to the devil for destruction. Then who's the destroyer of flesh? The same one who oppresses the ones that Jesus came to heal. The ones who were loose from their infirmities, all these spirits of infirmity had to flee from. They're blind spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits. There are spirits of, you name a disease and there's a demon. And they all had to leave. They all had to leave. There were names for all these kind of things. And he says, it would deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Let me ask you a question. Can a man do that? Let me ask you again because you don't know what to say. Is such authority like that belong to the church? That one man can deliver another man to the devil. That he might be destroyed. That his flesh, so that his spirit might be saved in the day. That's why they said, don't leave him in that state or he sure enough will perish. But that's a pretty clear verse of scripture for the destruction of his flesh. And by the way, the verse in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, for these are weak and are sickly. The reason they were weak and sickly is because they did not rightly discern the body of Christ. And verses before that, he spoke of divisions and heresies. These were rebels within the church. They could quote the Bible in the midst of the prophets and those who were gifted with healing, but their gifts wouldn't work. They died without benefiting from all that God had in the church because they didn't pay attention to living the way God wanted them to live. I remember back the last 30, 40 years in my life, there were those people who listened to this faith message and they got the healing part down and all the other things. They how to claim promises, they mastered that, but you couldn't get along with them. They were irritable, difficult, nosy. You know, this is a long time ago. I don't know where they all are now, but it's like they left out some of the more essential things that have to do with character. They got into all the things that benefit me. Boy, this is all about me, but, but God wants you all about him. And the things that should have drawn us to him to see our sins and our weaknesses and our flaws and to turn us around to make us like Jesus, to love, respect, and care, be gentle and kind, long-suffering and understanding to other people. That message was hardly ever acted out. Hardly ever. Some people got it, but not very many. Not very many people. I remember saying to somebody once who was complaining about I can't believe that, you know, so-and-so wears glasses or so-and-so went to a doctor and I, I'll tell you, blah, 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 blah. And I remember saying to one somebody once, I said, which is the worst sin? Which is the worst sin? Going to a doctor or sowing discord? Which is the worst? It says specifically that God hates one of those two. I've seen people go to a doctor with a broken heart. They weren't glad about it. They weren't defying God. And my heart was broke. You've never been in somebody else's shoes to walk where they walk with what they going, what's going in their heart. Best thing for you to do is just pray. Pray that such a thing won't ever happen to you. And you pray that, that God would do for them even as you would want God to do for you. To begin to connect yourself or let God connect you with brothers and sisters in such a way that you begin caring about other people and quit being so nosy and so picky. Now, there comes a time that you have to correct your brother. If you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are licensed, no, he said, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You find the promise in the word. You do that. You find promises for divine hand. I find the promise in the word. And I'm going to claim it. Now, Brother Tom, claim, claim is not in the Bible. I looked it up. Claim, claimed, or claiming is not to be found in my Bible. See, mine's different than yours. Hopefully not. Claim, claimed, or claiming, I couldn't find it in the Bible. So how can we then tell Christians to do something that the Bible doesn't even talk about doing? Well, I look up the word claim, and claim by definition means to demand. Ooh, that's not good. 
means to implies demanding or to assert your rights to something. Now, I, I don't think I have a right to go before God and said, uh, all right, now, I demand that you do for it. Now, I've heard people teach like that years ago. But I don't think it's the right way to approach the throne. I think we would be much better off to come before him in thanksgiving with a bowed head and humility and to give thanks, first of all, for his generosity to you and secondly, for his grace that opened your eyes to see his generosity and to be thankful for such a promise that he has made that you need and that in the name of Jesus, which is the way he said to do it, you make appropriate, you appropriate that promise for yourself. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. Lord, I ask you for this in the name of Jesus. And he said, ask and you shall receive. So I begin to ask and he begins to do it. You see, the sense here is, is claiming in the sense of acknowledging. I acknowledge that the promise has been made. I have heard it. My heart has embraced it, and therefore, I receive it in Jesus' name. I claim it. Now, I will do that if I am convinced that God meant for me to have that. Amen? I can't, I can't claim healing for myself unless I know he wants me healed. I have to get over that hump. I can't claim he's going to protect me and keep me safe unless I can find out in the Bible where he says that. I can't believe he's going to prosper me and keep me well and above water financially and so forth if I can't find a promise for it. I can't just make up a promise and hold God to it. That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. But again, I go back to this book, whatever my problem is, and I begin to seek here. I begin to find I found out that God says there are many things that are freely given to us by the Lord, 1 Corinthians 2, that these things are freely given to us, okay? I, if they're freely given, I don't have to beg for them because you've given them to us. And therefore, I'm going to ask in Jesus' name that you give it to me. How many of you know that asking doesn't always mean believing? A lot of people are great at broadcasting, but they're not good at tuning in. They're always telling what their needs are and, and spending a lot of time at a prayer meeting, lengthy prayers of pleading with God. Oh, God, look at my sin. You see, oh, Lord. oh God, we try. And Lord, you know my heart. Oh, Lord. Well, he all, how many of you know he already knows everything? All he asks you to do is just come and ask. Come and heal my servant. He said, just speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Thank you. You don't know many people like that. I don't care where you go to church or who you are. You don't know many people like this. There are some, but you don't know a lot of them. But we should all be like that. That what God has promised to us, God intends to keep for us. Ask. I found my promise. I ask. What did he say in Mark eleven twenty four? I'm sure all of you know this verse. He said, what things soever you desire. When you pray, and you only pray in the prayer of faith if you're convinced before you pray that he wants you to have it. Does he want you to be well? Does he want you to prosper? Does he want you to marry well? Of course he does. He would be against wrong marriage, wrong anything. He wants you to seek his way first and then respond in faith. That is, my heart... My heart has embraced the truth that I have read, reread, prayed over, laid hands on, and meditated on. And Lord, I'm convinced that you don't want me sick, but you want me well. I'm convinced that you want me to prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. And this is a process. But I'm convinced that all these promises you've made, you've made for me. Now, I found, I haven't got all of them, but this one here I have, Lord, I see right here where you said that you're the Lord who heals me. And therefore, I receive an answer to my prayer in Jesus' name. If you don't believe when you pray, you're not going to get it. James 1 says that. Mark 11, 24 says, What things have you desired when you pray? Believe you have received it. 
James chapter 1 says that if you lack, ask. God gives liberty to all, all that ask. But the condition is you've got to ask in faith, what we're talking about. You've got to ask in faith without doubting. For if when you pray, you're not real sure, you get nothing from God. You'll be frustrated. You'll dislike this message. You'll dislike this kind of an atmosphere. You get frustrated. You'll start running your mouth. You know what? The problem's not with the atmosphere. The problem's not with God. The problem with you. You're wavering. You're not sure. You're hoping if you pray like your sister, your brother, your wife, or cousin, or aunt, or your children pray, it'll work for you too. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have your own lamp. You've got to have your own oil. You've got to have your own revelation. Revelation is light. You've got to have your own light. You've got to see it as God shows it to you. And if you don't see that, you've got to go get it. But once you see it, it's a matter of just going before God and saying, in the name of Jesus, I receive what you have, and I claim it as mine. I remember the solemn night that I claimed a house, paid for a house. I knew nobody on this earth, I knew a lot of people had, surely nobody that I knew had ever done that. But I, I had heard you could do it. I examined that, and it came in my heart, just jumped in my heart. So I wrote her down on a piece of paper, got it in my office, hanging on the wall. A contract between me and God for a new home paid for. Fit for a child of the king. I didn't let a lot of people read that because of the way people think. And I can't seem to put it in my wallet and set it aside for several years. And then one day I realized, you know, it worked. It happened. I'm in it right now. You just trust the Lord. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Never fails, never falters. God can do anything. But you have to believe when you pray that he's going to do what he said. Because if you don't believe when you pray, you don't get anything from God. Let me quote this for you. If you want to write these down, go ahead. I'm going to give you some healing scriptures. And I would like to think that you would take time in your life to read each one of these and memorize them. When my children were small and growing up, and they were hacking and coughing or had fevers, I would bring them and set them on my lap. Very often. And I would take Proverbs 4, 20-22, as a basis for doing this. He said, if you keep this word and hide this word in your heart, he said, this word will become medicine to your flesh. And it says more than that. The word will become medicine, a curative to your flesh. And because it was that, I thought, well, I'm going to give my kids a dosis. I'd set them down. I start with Exodus 15, 26. I am the Lord that heals thee. I'd read that. I'd open my Bible up and I would put my finger on that verse, lay my hands on the child and read that. I'm in no hurry here. Then I go to Exodus chapter uh, 23 and verse 25 and I would do that one. Then I would go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 15 where God says, I will remove all sickness from the midst of you. I'd read it. Then I do Psalm 103. He forgives all thine iniquities and heals all of them. All of them. All thy diseases. Then I go to Psalm 107, verse 20. He said, and he sent his word and healed them. And I would read it. And then the verse in Proverbs that follows the Psalms. I would read Proverbs 4. My son, give attention to my word, incline thine ear to my sayings, and so forth. For they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. I'd read that. And then I would say, then this is health to my child's flesh. I'd read Matthew chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, which is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, 3 and 4. These are the healing scriptures. I mean, the Bible is full of these things. Now I'd go to 1 Peter 2, 24, which verified Isaiah 53. Then I'd read James 5, 16. They shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Then I'd read, and finally I'd read Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. A believer can do it. Brethren can do it. There's gifts in the church that can do it, or you personally believe in can do it. 
There's lots of ways to be healed. We're not limited to one way coming forward. You can get healed right there in your seat. Folks, if you just take time, any of you, all of you, to familiarize yourself until these words are in your heart and you read these things just as I read them to you and take it as though this is what God has given. This is his provision for you for your well-being physically. You, your children, any in your family, wherever your authority goes, you have this right. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the truth that makes us free. Bless this word to your people. May they become strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.